Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Matt, you said Clemson had the talent to do it. I did, and I detect some sadness in your voice. I don't love it. Uh, you know, you know? The, the point of a dynasty is that it must inevitably end. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if it's ended. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, you never know when a when a run is over until several years later. Um, you know, you can look back now and say, you know, USC's run kind of ended on that Rose Bowl against Texas, and yet that's not even really totally true. It was their last championship game, but they had, you know, very good teams the next three years that easily could have been in the championship mix. So, um, you know, who knows? Uh, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, it was a. It was an epic game, really, really an epic fourth quarter. Um, I, you know, the game kind of uh, took a while getting in, and and uh, you know, but the drama was really thick in the second half. You know, it, it reminded me a little bit of, of Super Bowl Forty Two, in the sense that you kind of had this big bad bully uh, who you just always thought they'd find a way somehow, and then they lost the lead. Then they got the lead back, and you thought, oh, they did find a way, and then, nope, the underdog went down and, and won the game again. For me, it was reminiscent of that USC game that you mentioned against Texas, where going into the game, what everyone was talking about was, nope, this is this is the best team ever. It's, yeah. not, it's not they're the best team in this uh, of the season. Right. It's not that this is the best Alabama team of this run. This was the best team ever with right. guys who, you know, a defense that could play in the NFL – next week and be okay and you know what the team that had the chip on their shoulder was the one that came out the winner and now granted Clemson you know said all the right things and did all the right things and at the same time Alabama was talking about how wow we really feel like we're being disrespected and we're the underdog but (laughs) I I thought that it was an incredible game from start to finish you know it was it was defensive and a slugfest early yeah you know, as somebody who was leaning Alabama with how I was rooting, and, and also obviously I picked them, I wonder what would have happened if Scarborough could have stayed on the field for the whole game. But yeah, but it yeah. doesn't. I, I'm not sure it would have mattered because it seemed like at some point Clemson stopped being intimidated by the physicality. Right, right. I agree. I mean, you know, Scarborough had the two big runs, um, but I felt like even though the numbers will say Alabama ran for. I don't know, 150 plus yards. I think it was. I didn't feel like they were getting it consistently. He had the two big touchdown runs, and Hertz had the, the scramble on the on the first drive, and then obviously the scramble for the touchdown, 30 yards. Um, but I felt like Clemson was doing a good job throughout of, you know, getting some negative plays, um, not letting Hertz get too loose as a runner, um, and then he looked tentative at times. There was a play. Uh, you know, in the in the fourth quarter, I believe, on a third down and five, where he kind of he rolled out to his right and he had room to run, and he didn't take it. He kind of hesitated. He wanted to throw. He didn't throw. Then he ends up running. He only gets you know back to the line of scrimmage and pushed out of bounds. And you know, you saw a true freshman quarterback have some true freshman uh, moments. You know, he he didn't look great, um, and they've been able to get by with that this year because of the great defense, but. They finally ran into an offense that was top notch, and they really didn't play many of those in the SEC. And um, you know, it's a great defense they had. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that at all. But I think you saw that you know a good offense can have success against them, and they just, they just didn't play very many during the season. 
I think that's absolutely true. I also want to talk quickly about Sarkeesian replacing Kiffin and how that all went yeah. down. It, it felt like the offense wasn't really clicking, but I'm not sure what you would have done differently. No, and, and, and I think you go back to the fact it didn't really click much the second half of the year. It was, You know, you kind of kind of got unnoticed because of how good their defense was and their defense could score. You know, they had whatever it was, 15 non-offensive touchdowns this year or something like that. But their offense really didn't hum that much all year. You know, it just, it, you know, it wasn't that type of offense. And last night was kind of indicative of what they were. Big plays. You know, Scarborough had the big touchdown runs and then the big play to Howard. And, and with a great defense, that can be enough. Um, but, you know, again, it just came back to the fact that they, they couldn't sustain drives. And, you know, that I think I think I read um, they had 66 plays and Clemson had 99. So, I mean, that's a huge disparity. I don't put that on Sarkeesian. That's an easy thing to, you know, well, the offense struggled. Offense struggled against Washington. It struggled against Auburn in the regular season finale. You know, I mean, it, it, but it didn't matter because they were good enough all around that they could they could have some punts and some empty possessions and it didn't matter. The 99 plays, or whatever it was, you know, that, that really explains a lot to me about how you can wear down Alabama's defense. Sure. You know, Oregon, back in the Chip Kelly era, they weren't necessarily a great offense, but they would just destroy your defense because they, would, they were always there and always ready to yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, the, the tempo obviously is a big thing in college, and with the uh, you know with the rules being what they are as far as the clock stopping on first downs, you can run more plays. You know you can't you can't get ninety nine plays in the NFL unless you go you know a full overtime and you know probably not even that. Um, but in college, you know you get the first down, clock stops, and you can have a you know a fifteen play drive that only takes two and a half minutes. Um, and, you know so yeah, they took advantage of that, and and their defense really did a good job of getting I think twelve straight third downs Alabama failed on to end the game. I think they were two of three to start and then O of 12 after that. So, you know, the defense got stops when they had to. You and I have talked about that in relation to ASU um, when you're kind of the, the underdog. When you have those opportunities to get stops, you have to take advantage, and they did last night. Now, one of the things about last night that was interesting was the way ESPN chose to cover the mm-hmm. game. They had... The game broadcast, then they had the Alabama Homer broadcast and the Clemson Homer broadcast. They yeah. had the In Your Living Room broadcast with Michelle Beadle and Rachel right. Nichols and Keyshawn Johnson. And that one, I will say, was entertaining, but I would have rather it just be a party without the game because, right. you know, when Keyshawn Johnson and Bill Walton are talking about how Bill Walton could have been the man at USC <laughs> instead of just one of the greats of UCLA, right. that's actually, to me, kind of an interesting conversation, Yeah, but not when I'm trying to watch the it's national It's not tournament. related. Yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, I read some comments on Twitter about it, and somebody made a good point. Hey, if you, if you don't like it, there's plenty of other ways to watch the game, and Certainly that's true. You know, um, it's, it's for a certain type of audience. I turned over to it when I saw Bill Walton was dressed as Uncle Sam. And they're talking about Craig Elo and whether Craig Elo could survive in today's NBA. And I kind of thought, well, uh, I don't, you know, that's an interesting discussion to have at some point, but maybe not right now. Um, I mean, all that was missing was significant others who don't yes. care about sports you know, yes, talking about yes. babies or, right, you right. know, cars. You know, 
you know. Exactly. I mean, it was it was meant for that. It was you know. Um, I didn't watch a ton of that, you know, but I did, and and you suggested this to me. Uh, I ended up watching the last three quarters basically exclusively on ESPN News, where they had six coaches and Brian Greasy sitting around, kind of breaking down the game as it went. Um, I, I did a lot of squinting because they put the live game up in the corner, so I'd watch that on the plays, and then they'd talk about it, um, and I kind of felt a little insane for doing that, but. It was entertaining. I thought those guys did a really good job of just being natural. They they didn't they didn't try to be uh, stand up comedians, um, but they also didn't take themselves too seriously. They had some fun, and it gave me a you know it gave me a respect for some of those guys that honestly I you know I didn't know much about. Um, but you know uh, it was it was a situation where like Mike McIntyre, Matt Rule, you know I'll root for them now in some ways because they just seem very down to earth on that. I agree. I thought that the big winner of it was probably Rule because yes. he was t- everything he was saying was telling you stuff where if his career as a coach doesn't work out or when he's older he he wants to leave Baylor and do something else. Yeah. I'd put him on TV right now. Sure. Because sure, he's yeah. telling you things where, you know, unfamiliar with the programs other than whatever prep he did for that right. game and right. whatever he just knew intuitively. He's talking about guards pulling. He's talking yes. about the athleticism of, you know, watch this tight end here on this kickout yeah. block. And the play might not even be going that way, but he just sees it and wants you to appreciate it too. Agreed. Agreed. It was it was a good balance of X's and O's without seeming too much of that. You know, sometimes you watch even game broadcasts and you have, you have guys who it's almost like they want to show off their football knowledge and they use terminology and they edit. And you think, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I didn't play the game. I didn't coach the game. I'm a big fan of it. And, I, you know, over the years you pick up some of these terms and stuff. But, I don't, you know, don't talk to me like I'm a 20-year a insider because I'm not. And most people aren't that are watching. Um, but, there was, you know, there was a healthy mix of that. Like, yeah, they talked about, you know, man beaters and, and things that, it, you know, if you don't know any football, you'd think, what in the hell are they talking about? But, but it was also down-to-earth um, and, and I think that, the, you know, it really kind of had the feel of you were sitting as you kind of compared the other one had the feel of you were sitting in a living room with these seven guys and just talking football, you know, and, and they're eating and they're, you know, they're kind of rooting for different things and they're, you know, they're cheering here and there and they're getting nervous and, uh, you know, they, they came across as human, but also the insider, you know, of being a coach and being able to break things down as they happen. I thought Greasy did a really good job of keeping things moving, but not interjecting himself. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, yeah. And I and I kind of wondered when I first turned over because he's he's not a host, you know. He's a he's a color commentator, and so I wondered, you know, how's this going to work with him as the centerpiece? But yeah, I thought he did a good job of letting them lay out and and carry the show, but also not get too obsessed with one thing. Um, you know, and just the the banter was funny. You know, at one point. I'm watching, and, and I think it was Mike McIntyre or Dino Babers, one of the two, made a made a joke about BYU's offensive linemen being older, and, and the BYU coach fires back. You know, well they they don't go on missions to Gold's Gym. They you know they come back and they're they're skinny and they're out of shape. And he, you know, he said if this was such a great way to develop players, Alabama would be doing it. And and it just had the you know it had a natural feel to it that these guys got along. Um, you know, and I don't know how many of them knew each other that well before. But it was fun to watch, really was. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Some some good-natured ribbing. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, but again, it didn't it didn't devolve cuz some, you know, there's a fine line with stuff like that where, you know, broadcast teams a lot of times it it kind of devolves into constant ribbing back and forth or constant inside jokes or and you're like, you know, just just talk about the game. Um I really enjoyed it much more than I thought. I I also watched some of ESPN Classic where they just showed the game with no commentary. So you got the in stadium PA and that's it, you know, and you got crowd noise and, um, that was kind of fun too. You know, you got the game broadcast, but no, no commentary. So, uh, it was interesting, you know, for, for a game that I was super intense about rooting for a team, I, I probably would have just watched the conventional broadcast. Um, but since I was a little bit more, you know, yeah, I was rooting for Clemson, but it wasn't like it was my favorite team playing in it. Um, I kind of experimented with some of the different things and, and enjoyed what they offered. The sports guy and Joe Buck were talking about, would this translate to the Super Bowl or would this translate somewhere else? Right. And it it doesn't translate to the Super Bowl to me because the advertising is so important that well, I don't, I don't think Fox would ever offer Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2 as an alternative. That's a good point. I, I was even going to say, you know, this is obviously it's something you can't do that often. You, know, you can't do it during the regular season. Um, because you know, everybody's playing and, um, but I was even going to say, you know, I would, I would watch a Super Bowl with four NFL coaches talking about it, but you're right. That's such a big part of the Super Bowl that it probably, you know, is not anywhere close to happening because, you know, you don't want to lose that advertising money. Um, you know, what I, if I was a fan, if I was, if the Packers were in, I would maybe watch the Homer Packer broadcast. Right. Just like when I watch ASU games, sometimes I mute it and I put Healy on. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that I think, you know, <clears throat> can be used. You know, and I think it depends on the sport. Basketball would be a tough sport to do it to have that many guys because it's it's too fast moving. I think um, baseball could do it. Baseball. I was gonna say, I would. You know, if you if you put the World Series and you had you know a, a couple of former managers and a couple of former players, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a great format for that because baseball is a slow enough moving sports so is football they they both have natural pauses that allow you to talk you know football is a play and then you've got you know generally 20 to 40 seconds between plays and you've got timeouts and um you know and baseball's the same way you know baseball almost has too many stoppages at some point so that way of doing it would be interesting um uh, yeah i mean it, you know they've been doing this i know for three years now uh, i didn't you know i didn't really watch much of it the first year and then last year lucky i was fortunate to be at the game um so this is the first year i've really you know kind of looked at what else they did and thought it was pretty cool it definitely was interesting and they've definitely gotten i don't know if better is the right word but it's become more accepted i guess i was because i was watching the main broadcast for the first quarter and then i Mm -hmm. sort of flipped around and like you sort of sampled what was there when i landed on the coach broadcast i really liked that and i appreciated having a big screen because it let me yes. still see the game. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could see enough of it in the corner, and there you know, there was some of those moments where I'm thinking, why am I doing this to myself? I, I could turn one channel down, and, and I could see the game on the entire screen. Um, I was also a little superstitious, to be, to be honest, because I turned over to it when it was 14 nothing, and then Clemson scored on that first drive, and I thought, well, i, I got to stick with this. You know, it's going better. Um, and so I did all the way until, uh, the kickoff, the onside kick to end the game. I thought, okay, I got to see what happens here. And on the big screen, I, I finally turned over after the touchdown. 
Uh, yeah, I was kind of uh, kind of expecting you to put on the Alabama Homer broadcast for the <laughs> end. Just to... uh, yeah, I should have. I should have. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it was uh, it was fun though. Yeah, you know, they they did a good job. And again, it, it's it's something you can only do for big events. You know, people are people are not going to watch uh, you know five different broadcasts of uh, an August baseball game or. Uh, you know, a, a March NBA game or something like that. But you know, could you could you do it for the World Series? Could you do it for you know the national championship game in basketball? Uh, again, the basketball is a little tougher. I think you'd have to tweak the format a little bit to do it. But you know, would I watch a couple of coaches talk? Yeah, I might. Um, you know, to have six voices during a basketball game might become a little distracting. Um, but you know, it's it's something that I think you know other places could copy. I'd be curious if the Pac-12 network, if Pac-12 network staggered rivalry game start times mm-hmm. and played the rivalry games with the, you know, home broadcast and road yeah. broadcast, yeah, that would be interesting. It would, it would. I mean, I know the, um, the the basketball tournament has done that in the Final Four and the championship game the last few years. You could, you know, you could turn to TBS and True TV or whatever and get, you know, one of either team's home home radio call, which is kind of cool, you know, if you're a fan of that team. And unfortunately for, for you and me, we, you know, our favorite team hasn't sniffed the Final Four, uh, probably won't anytime soon. But, you know, if you're a Kentucky fan, you know, that'd be kind of cool to listen to your guys call the game and get that slant uh, that deep into the tournament I think would be kind of fun. Before we pivot over to Bobby Hurley, um, is there anything else on the – national title game that you want to talk about i think there was just a minor one and i'm sure you saw it i think one of the one of the key plays and and i'll be fair that you know the coaches telecast talked about this and matt rule was hammering it big play in the game was hunter renfro's tackle on that fumble return uh in the in the third quarter because if alabama scores and it looks like he's going to that ball gets stripped out and he's you know got nobody in front of him and it's then it's 21 7 and it just, I think the game is a different finish. I really do. I think the game might get away. And um, that was a huge play. And then the defense gets a three and out and, you know, kind of gets lost in the shuffle with all the other things that happened in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Watson's great play and Renfro's touchdown catch. And, but, man, that, the Renfro kid is a hell of a story because, you know, the former walk on who only really gets a chance in last year's title game because Deion Kane gets suspended. And ends up being a big-time player, you know, uh, I, I thought a, a key play that really probably changed the course of the game. It's one of those things where you get a new appreciation of hustle. Yes, yes. And and to just, like, the hustle and to make the tackle. Because most receivers would try to tackle up high and they get sloughed off. But, man, a, a, you know, perfectly good tackle. Like, he went down, he, he hit him in the thigh, puts him on the ground. Like, I mean... It was one of those little plays that, you know, but how many times do you see a, a defender rumbling and the running back or the wide receiver tries to make a tackle? It's a feeble attempt to try to tackle him at the shoulders. You know, guy made a nice play and, and really, I think, saved them in the game. Because if that's 21-7, I just don't know if they can come back from it. Yeah. Well, it would have been a really de- more demoralizing moment if the guy finds the end zone because then, it's, then it becomes – you can't Alabama's defense cannot be stopped. They'll will this team to victory. And exactly. Yeah. They do it again, scoring and I mean, it's much like what they did to Washington. That game was, you know, ten to seven late in the second quarter and they give up that, you know, interception return and 
it just felt like they couldn't make up the deficit. Now, Clemson's offense was better, but I just think, you know, if that goes right back to a two-touchdown deficit, all the good that you did at the end of the second quarter kind of gets erased. You're right back to 14 down. Um, you know, you had the ball to start the half, and instead you, you know, you give up the early touchdown would have been a tough one to come back from. Now, it was, it was, a, it was a mentally tough team, obviously, because – you know, I won't lie. At, at fourteen nothing, I was starting to think, well, you know, how early can I go to bed? Because um, I don't know if I'm going to watch this game if it gets to be, you know, thirty-five to seven or something like that. Um, but they didn't pack it in, and they kept playing and and uh, made it quite fun to watch. And I have to give Dabo Swinney credit. I I do. I still have my <laughs> issues with him, but he motivated that team. They clearly yeah. respond to him and his style. Yeah, yeah. I mean. He, what you can say about him is, um, you know, and, and it doesn't always work like this, obviously, but it teaches you the value of being patient with a coach because he was under some fire early in his tenure. He was an interim coach, and they gave him the job, and they didn't. His second year, I think they went 6-6, six and six, and, and you know, there was a, a feeling, oh, this guy's not really the guy to get it done, and we got to go find somebody else, and they stuck with him. And he started, you know, recruiting really, really good players. Um, and, and, and then, you know, they got the right mix finally. I think they, you know, they found the, the quarterback to kind of change, the, you know, get them over the hump. Um, not to say Taj Boyd wasn't a very good player. He was. But, you know, they found the guy, much like Vince Young did for Texas, that took a, a really good program and made him great. And, and they get rewarded with a title. Uh, you know, it is, it's a cool story. And, yeah, I mean, it. You know, it is it is a testament in looking at close to home, you know, and I don't know if it's going to end this way for us. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, when you when you start to hear the complaints, of, uh, you know, we move on from this guy. Well, sometimes being patient is the better move. And, you know, it certainly was for them. Well, and you got to think with ASU, as we pivot over to their recruiting class and, and what we're facing, Obviously, there are a lot of issues with how the last two seasons have gone, you know, worst pass defense sure. in the nation and yeah. certainly in the Pac-12 both years. But Graham is still motivating kids, you know, at the All-Star game this mm-hmm. past weekend, Eno Benjamin, the running back from Texas, committed, which apparently, yeah. and I don't know if this was a Graham idea or an Eno Benjamin idea or what, who wanted the moment more. But apparently Benjamin had signed all of his stuff well in advance that he was oh, coming really? here, uh, and that's why he finished that game Saturday and he was enrolled at ASU <laughs> on Monday. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay, okay, I hadn't heard that aspect. Um, yeah, you know, probably, probably, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the kids love that kind of stuff these days with the, you know, put the four hats on the table and have the, have the drama, especially, uh, you know, you announce it on TV and um, hey, I get it, you know, well, and from down an, when you're 18 years old. From an ASU perspective, you want that too, because here's sure. a kid who's an all-star in this big game, sure. who plays running back a position that we have depth, although yeah. I've now for the first time heard some talk that Balazs might declare for the draft, which I think would be, really? I, I think it would be a mistake, <sighs> yeah. but it's always tough to say any running back leaving is a mistake because you it only is. have a finite number of hits and the way it he is. runs, especially. I agree. I mean, I, I think we talked about that toward the end of the year that, you know, neither neither guy certainly had this season that, that makes you think, oh, boy, we got to worry about losing that guy. But, but yeah, with running backs, um, especially running backs who've been carrying a big load for, you know, three years, both of them have, 
Bellage really too. Uh, he missed, you know, part of, he didn't really play that much his freshman year, but Richard did. Um, yeah, you know, you don't blame him. I mean, cause, cause increasing your value is really hard to do. You know, you're probably going to be a day three undrafted free agent regardless, unless you come back next year and win the Heisman or something. But, uh, you know, you take your chances on going now and making your way uh, with one less year of, of, you know, physical wear and tear. Yeah. And the way he runs, he's not the scat back no, type. I mean, no. he takes brutalizing hits and he delivers he big hits too. And so does Richard. I mean, they're both, you know, Richard is, is you know, always a, a, a physical runner. I think it took its toll on him this year because he wasn't healthy in the second half of the year. Um so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've we've uh, almost made it to the deadline, I think. But wouldn't shock me if if one or both uh, threw their names in just on the thought of, hey, uh, you know, this is as good as it's going to get, and I might as well start trying to make money now rather than waiting here. Well, and as we talked about last time, big ten days to two weeks for ASU recruiting right now. Mm-hmm. Adding another, you know, top ESPN three hundred four star recruit always helps. Sure, but. They're going to have to do more work. They only have 13 known commitments. Two of them are quarterbacks. Two of them are running backs. Right. You know, could use more D-line, could use more linebackers. It really, all layers of the defense could use sure, more Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very important year, you know, from, from here until the end of November and hopefully, you know, the end of December or early January for Todd Graham because – he, you know, as much as I say, you know, patience can be rewarded. The fact is, it's real hard to be patient. You take, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not easy to come out and say, well, this guy's had three underachieving years in a row, but we're going to stick by him. Probably not going to happen. So he's he's got to do something. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not saying he's got to get to the Rose Bowl next year or, or win the Pac-12, but... Well, he must um, get to able. I will say yeah, that for, yeah, for certain. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I mean, that's that should be a, a minimum expectation every year. Every year you don't is a disaster. And yes, I realize I'm saying this year was a disaster. In some ways, yeah, I was. stand by um, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, five and seven is unacceptable at, you know, at any major conference program, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, he's got he's to gotta show something. Again, I'm not. I'm not saying it's you know, Pac-12 championship or bust. Um, but you know, you can't have another five or six win type of season with another defense that can't stop anyone. Uh, so you know, recruiting is part of that. Now, you know, how many of these guys are going to be big factors in the 2017 team? I, I don't know. Probably not that many. But but if you get you know, even if you get two or three or four guys that can help you win some games next year, that's huge. Um, well, you know, the big thing is coaching up the guys you've already got, and we'll see on that one. For me, the guy who I, I want to have an eye on going into the spring ball is Christian Hill, because he came in with mm-hmm. all the hype in the world as a rush right. defensive end, and the only time we saw him was at fullback. Right. I can't right. imagine now, their plan is to leave him at fullback. No, I wouldn't think so. Now, he was a, a junior college, right? Right. He's the guy so, who was in the military and then was right. a right. big-time yeah. pass yeah. rusher in JUCO. Yeah. So I, we have seen that before, you know, several times here, where a guy kind of has a very quiet first year at a junior college, and his second year he's excellent. You know, Marcus Hardison is one that comes to mind. You know, we watched him his first year and thought – Boy, this guy is is lost. And then his second year, he was great. 
so, you know, it's, it's happened, and hopefully um, he can follow that same kind of pattern. I agree. Now, the last thing to talk about for ASU is basketball, where, again, another conference split for mm-hmm. the Devils. Um, but two pieces of interrelated, or two interrelated thoughts. One, Sam Cunliffe transferred uh, mm-hmm. to Kansas. In his final three were Seattle and two top programs, which makes me think that the discussion about him wanting to be closer to home is bogus. Yeah. there aren't that many flights from Lawrence to Seattle. No, I would, I would uh, guess without looking that Lawrence is further away from Seattle than Phoenix is. Um, certainly it's not close. And I'm, uh, I'm sure there's not a direct flight, and, I, and no. I would be willing to wager that there's at least one Seattle to Phoenix direct flight. Yes, there are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I was fairly sympathetic to him when we talked, uh, and I don't feel like I should still have that sympathy. I, I feel like he, uh, he abandoned ship when times got tough, and now he's going to a, a great program um, where, you know, tough times constitute, you know, going 25 and 5. Uh, so, yeah. so, you know, I mean, good for him that he could go there and, and we'll see what his career becomes. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a punch in the gut because it just feels like he, he ran for, you know, safer waters after what, you know, 10 games. And with that, ASU has split the two conference opening weekends road and home, but they've done it by winning game one and losing game Mm -hmm. two. And I wonder, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm curious your thoughts. I wonder if there's just a lack of depth that makes it, that we're just going to be like this all season where we need to win that first game of the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think that's certainly logical. You know, um, we, we are, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just numbers, you know, we, we don't have much depth. We weren't going to be a super deep team anyway. But as we've discussed, you know, you, you, you add, you know, four freshmen and three of them for different reasons are not playing. Uh, you know, two are well, one's hurt, one's academically ineligible and one transferred. So, you know, you, two of them should be back next year and that's great. But, you know, for this year, it's not very helpful. Um, so we're just not a very deep team. And, yeah, I mean, it can't. It can't help. Um, is it the reason? I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe we've just played the better team in the second game both times. Um, you know, I, I think probably that's the case. But, you know, especially, you know, you look at both of those second games have been close games late and we haven't been able to finish. And it's not hard to, you know, connect the dots that maybe a lack of depth is a reason for that. Well, the big rivalry game round one is on Thursday against the Wildcats. Yeah. Call me crazy, but I'm not overly optimistic about it. I'm, no, I'm not going to call you crazy. Yeah, I mean, their best player is uh, seven feet tall, and we don't have right. anyone on the roster except Jethro, who's seven feet. Right, and right. Give, yeah, given he, that combination of factors, I would not be surprised, or I would be surprised if Jethro was not in foul trouble after <laughs> the first eight minutes on the floor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about them um, and their their roster makeup this year. I haven't watched them. Um, I do, I know of the, the Finnish kid who I think is who you're referring to. Markinen, um, yeah. Markinen, yeah, um, who's supposed to be really good. And I know Alonzo Trier is still out um, for reasons unexplained. But beyond that, I, I don't know a, a whole lot about him. Um, I think they've lost two games, Gonzaga and, and uh, I can't remember who the other one was. Both are good teams, though. Um, 
Yeah, and they're you know, top. And, they're ranked in the top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're four zero in the Pac twelve, and they, you know they're they're a very good team. Um, and it's always tough to go win in McHale. I mean, our our best teams were able to win down there a couple of times, and that was sweet. But they weren't easy. You know, uh, they they were they were slugfests, and you know, you, you just know it is. I mean, the, the you know the crowd is loud. The uh, you know. It's the way I'm not saying it's a McHale conspiracy, but you know you're not going to get the benefit of borderline calls. Um, you know, it's just the way it is when you go down there, and uh, it's tough. You know, you gotta you gotta be significantly better than them on that night to beat them there. And I don't like our chances. We've done it before, but it's sure we have. It, but it's, it's uh, not easy, and it's not often. No, it's not. I mean, I think what just just twice uh, in you know at least since. Since we started here, back to back years with uh, with Harden, I know, and I, I'm not sure we've beaten them down there. Well, maybe one, the one year after that too, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, when we lost to them here, pretty badly. Sean Miller's first year, we got blown out at home, and then we beat them down there. Um, uh, but I don't think we've won down there since. We beat them at home a few times in that in that time. Um, the year they were number two in the country, I know we beat them with the controversial Jahi Carson hanging on the rim and storming the court and all of those things. Uh, but it's been a while since we've won down there. So yeah, I don't, I don't love our chances, but you know, that's why they play the game 40 minutes. Uh, you know, all the Hoosiers cliches you want to add up, um, you know, it's, it's possible, but it's not likely. Well, we'll find out that tips off Thursday night from Mikhail. Matt and I will be back next week. It's going to be interesting due to personal, work real life things what our schedule is going to be after that but we'll get one more in before i go into a hole uh <laughs> created by my real job but until then <laughs> he's matt i'm ben it's the ben and matt sportscast